Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week.
the uh, the Easter's lead uh, one of the greatest endeavors and missions that I know. It's called Africa's Hope. You've heard us talk about it. You've heard me share this story. You have given. I think you've given almost 50, well, over $50,000 to Africa's Hope. And he's going to share a little bit of what that giving has done and what it's doing. And uh, we're delighted to be a partner with us. This is, this is a program that trains leaders to effectively lead churches that can see a great continent-wide impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're excited to have them here. John, Dr. John Easter, I want you to come share with us what God's laid on your heart and give us the update, would you please? And in just a bit, we're going to take an offering. How many of you knew that I was going to do that, right? I have no qualms about asking for money for missions because I know the impact. John, back over. But praise the Lord. Well, good morning. Well, it's wonderful to be here, and every time we have an opportunity, I think it's probably been about two years since the last time we were here, and a lot of miles in between, a lot of activity happening, which has been ex- extremely exciting, and, uh, and when Pastor asked if we had time to be able to come back again, boy, it's, it's, we, were, we were able to jump at that, knowing that we would, have, first of all, be able to see he and Sherry, and let me just say before I begin, um, with... with um, I, I, because I travel so much, not just in Africa and other places of the world, but across the states, and I'm different churches and venues, I can tell you, honestly, you are blessed to have the kind of pastoral leadership you have in this church. You are really blessed. And Pastor Dell and Sherry, are all, they're incredibly authentic. What you see is what you get. They're, they're amazingly compassionate. They love this community. They love their church. You should just hear the way that they speak of you. Um, you know uh, they have a history of great pastoral leadership throughout their life, but that God has really brought them, we believe, to this community, and that this church is having a, such a great impact. And, um, and just to say, we sure love you guys. You mean the world to us. Thank you for your hearts, uh, your vulnerability, just who you are as leaders, the security you bring. Uh, many leaders are not the most secure people you, you can imagine. They are, and that, that creates a great environment for churches to be healthy and grow and for you to be fruitful in this community and reach your families and way beyond. Can you say amen? Yeah. Um, it's great to have my wife with me, Cheryl. Um, uh, many times uh, she's not able to be with me depending on where we go, but more and more these days we really try to travel together. And uh, I, I showed a picture. I think there's a picture earlier. Can we go back to that? And I don't know that we've been here before we introduced our family to you, but these are my three sons standing beside Cheryl and me. Cheryl's in that, that Maasai blanket that you see there. It's a little bit of a cold day that day. We're in a place called Nakuru in Kenya. And uh, my, my oldest son works for Nike and travels as a manager with them, does training. And uh, he's been involved a little bit with international business. And then my son on the very far, uh, uh, that would be on your, your far right, would be uh, John John in that striped shirt. He works with autistic adults, nonverbal clients. It's a real calling. An incredibly compassionate young man, very good at what he does. And then my middle son and our daughter-in-law, who's, who's there, she's, uh, she's finishing up her medical residency. And my, my youngest son, who they're married, and uh, he works for a ministry called Teen Challenge. Have you heard of Teen Challenge? And he is one of their executives for them and really has done a phenomenal job uh, and uh, a great heart of compassion, a wonderful administrator, uh, called to ministry. And uh, in fact, he's leading, just in a week, he's leading a team of about 16 young people from Teen Challenge to Africa for the first time. And so they're still involved in what we do and uh, we sure love them. Well, anyway, that's a little bit about us. And uh, I want to I let you know about, if we go to the next slide... I want to just talk to you this morning about Africa's hope for a moment. And I want to give you a 30,000-foot view. Oh, yeah, Cheryl wanted me to remind you, we have two great grandch- or two grandchildren. Not great. <laughs> We're not that old yet. But they are great grandchildren. And, uh, yeah, I'll get in trouble for not mentioning that. This morning, what I'd like to do is two things. Number one, I would like to give you... An overview of Africa, because I think it's really important for you to understand the investment that you've made in Africa, but first to provide you with a 30,000 foot view for you to look on 
and to be able to understand and frame a little bit of why, uh, when I speak to you about what you have done, why that's so significant and, and how that has had strategic impact. If I was to show you a map of Africa, you may not know this, especially for most of us from the Western Hemisphere, but if you were to look at a world map, and Africa was part of that, it's very difficult for us to time to understand, to conceptually understand how large this place is. Because there's no real scale that takes place to allow us to see that when it is in juxtaposition to the continental United States, Canada, and Latin America, and then the, the countries of uh, Western Europe and the countries that make up the east of our world. But did you know that you can put the continental United States, you can put China, you can put India, you can put Australia, and you can put Japan all on top of Africa, including Western Europe. And you still have not covered the landmass of Africa. In fact, it takes me as long to fly from the tip of South Africa, at the very uh, tip of the continent, to a place called Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. Can you say Ouagadougou? Yeah, maybe you should go with me. Which is not nearly north of the continent as it does for me to fly from New York to London. This is one large continent. The scale is immense. It is a place for most of us that's pretty mysterious, isn't it? I remember when I began to sense a call to Africa, my wife and me, we'd already been in pastoral ministry. I was in my MDiv preparing for our PhD studies, and something happened in our hearts to call us to the continent for, we thought, for a short few years, and then I would return to my to the academy in the United States. And what had happened, though, is God arrested our hearts. And when we moved to Africa, we really began to understand the incredible mystery, the, the novelty of this amazing place, which has so much commonality but so much diversity. And in many ways, there is great diversity. I mean, Ethiopia has very little in common with Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso is so different than South Africa. South Africa is a completely different country in the universe than a place like Madagascar. But all of them, of the 54 countries and island states that make up this great continent, all of them are very unique and very, very special. Now, I, I remember something about Africa when, from when I was young, though, my first exposure. And that is, is that I, I had a book in elementary school that I had opened. And when I turned the page through the prompting of my teacher, I remember looking at the very top of this brand new chapter that was covering Africa. And in fact, the very bold print at the top was Africa. And the very first sentence, as my finger just traced along, was Africa is known as the dark continent. And in my mind, I thought at such a young age, why do they call this place a dark continent? I mean, does the sun not shine as brightly in that part of the hemisphere as it does in our own? But as we moved there, as we had experience, as we encountered Africa, we came to understand that the reason that the West has seen Africa as a dark continent is because in the last several hundred years, there's probably been no other people on planet Earth that have known the degree of suffering and degradation and marginalization and issues of disillusionment over life itself like the people of Africa. And because of that, we find out that those realities are still very much a part of this dark continent. For example, if I was to talk about the realities like poverty and suffering, when you think of the degrees of what it looks like and what that means in Africa, when we first moved to Malawi with our three sons that you saw in that picture for the very first time on that continent, and they were so small and so young, and there was, this, there was a mass starvation because of this uh, famine that had entered that part of the country, and for the first time, instead of seeing it on a TV set or reading it in the paper, we were actually seeing the results of death because people literally didn't have enough to eat. And you think of issues of HIV and AIDS and the Ebola virus, many times this is what conjures up the kinds of impressions we have of a place called Africa. It reinforces that stereotype, how we view this place. When I think of endemic poverty, when I think of endemic corruption, when I think of governmental oppression... When we think of issues that deal with the sex slave industry, which so many of young African women are find themselves in places all over the world today being promised a better hope, but when they get there, find out they've been lied to and put in brothels and other places that are literally slaves. I mean, slaves in our age today. By the millions, not the thousands, but by the millions. 
These are the things that reinforce that image. And in our mind, we look at Africa and think the dark continent. But let me share something with you that many times isn't shared on CNN or Fox News or the New York Times or some kind of multimedia platform. And that is that the dark continent has now seen a great light. And that light is Jesus. That even though, as I stand before you today, that the very issues that we just spoke about are still a reality for everyday Africans, that what we do not know, but what we should be aware of, is that there is no other place on planet Earth as I stand in front of you where Christianity is growing faster than in Africa. You see, because the dark place has now received a great light and Jesus is being exalted and the gospel is being planted in the hearts and lives of millions of Africans today. I mean, did you know, for example, even in our own movement, just within our own family in the church, that 20 years ago we only had 1.3 million adherents visiting our churches throughout Africa. Today we now number 22 million and growing. Can you imagine that? During that 20-year period when we only had 1.3 million, that represented, it reflected around 11,100 plus local churches like yours this morning. Today, 20 years later, we are at 83,000 local churches and growing. That's amazing. That's exponential growth. And this is what we normally do not hear. These are the kinds of reports that are kept from us. But it's all true. It's interesting that sociologists from the University of Berkeley all the way over to the University of Pennsylvania, they study us under a microscope of these church growth that's happening. And for people like me who are missiologists and we trace the data and are constantly looking at these trend lines and we're actually on the ground working in Africa, many times we kind of laugh at the terminology that they use as they publish academic studies and they'll call it a sociological phenomenon. But we know it's much more than that. It's simply just the move of the Holy Spirit and Africans are opening their hearts to the gospel and they're just simply saying yes. And their lives are being changed. It's an amazing time for us. But with all of these realities and all of these growth trends that we know doesn't look like anything in the horizon tells us that that will be abated anytime soon, that we'll continue to see the exponential growth, that despite all of those things, one of the things that we've come to really believe that no matter what we do in missions today to support that growth, that the one thing we must do is, is respond to this kind of continent through spirit-empowered, biblically trained leaders. And so that's the reason we believe that spirit-empowered, biblically trained leaders are the hope of Africa. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, it doesn't matter how much we invest together in this room to be able to dig wells and open up orphanages or help scholarship children or build certain things that help with facilitating education. All of those things can be very important, very strategic. However, if you do those things but you do not help to raise up and shape a leadership, then none of it will be sustainable. You're throwing money down a hole that will never have a bottom. But if you can raise up local leadership, indigenous leadership, who are spirit-empowered, who are biblically trained, then they become the hope to their people. Because leadership is where it really starts and where it really ends. Because if you don't have competent leaders, then you end up giving birth to a dysfunctional church that will do more damage to the gospel than help to the gospel. Because they'll plant the seed today, but it will die in the ground tomorrow. So this is why we often say at Africa's Hope that the goal is to produce healthy pastors who will then plant healthy churches, who will then create redemptive lift because in those communities there's values that change and it creates healthier communities. Now think about this for a moment. Right here in your own community in Florence, what if Pastor Dale and Sherry were not here? How would that affect this church I would probably assume that it would impact this church in an unhealthy way. You see, because healthy leadership creates vision. When you embody the kingdom value, it creates a new ethic. And what happens is the church then ends up being impacted by the families that are represented in this room. 
And then your extended families are affected. And then the people you work with are affected. And the people you go to school with are affected. The people in your neighborhood are affected. And before long, this church ends up having a healthy impact upon the community. Redemptive lift happens and you have a healthier community as a result. That's how it works in Africa. If you can help invest in healthy leaders who want to give their lives to respond to the call of God that God has placed upon them, and they plant and they nurture healthy communities of faith like this one, it always has a beneficial lift to the community that they're found in. It doesn't matter if it's a village, a township, or a city. Because I would venture if we took and closed the doors to this church today, there would be a negative impact on this community today. That's exactly what would happen. Now think about this for a moment. With all of this said, there are certain things then that I want to draw your attention to because if you're part of this congregation, you have now invested generously to be able to see this happen in a certain areas of, of the continent. And I'd like to speak to you about generosity. Generosity, which is a very important, significant biblical concept. In fact, Paul, who was an apostle, which literally means someone who's a gospel messenger that crosses linguistic, cultural, and geographical boundaries to be able to inform other people about the story of Christ. Paul, as an apostle, wrote to the Corinthians and listen to the words that he says here. He said, first of all, the point is this, whoever... Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as you decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. For God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And he says then, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing an increase in the harvest of your own righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this missionary service, he says, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. He says, because of your generosity that flows out of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what you, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, over the last three years, you have invested over $50,000 in Africa. And what I want to do for just a moment, briefly, is give you a report on the impact of your generosity. In fact, behind me, you'll see this young man with his arm outstretched. His name is Titus. He is one of my students. Because you have been tied with this ministry, he is also a product of what you've invested in. We have scholarshiped him not only through his diploma program, he's earned his bachelor's, he has earned his Master of Arts in Intercultural Studies. Today, we are now helping him through his PhD program. Extremely bright, speaks about three or four languages. He now runs one of the major Bible colleges of the 354 that Africa's Hope supports across the continent of Africa, running over 16,000 students every year. Every year. Let's go to the next slide. What you did is that you decided that came, that, to invest in a place called Ethiopia in the horn of the continent. Pastor Dale went with me about three and a half years ago. And we went to a place that was the capital of this country called Addis Ababa. Can you say that? Addis Ababa. You guys are great with your language. We then went from there to a place called Diradawa. And then we went up north. And visited other people groups in a place called Lalabella. Among these three areas, each one of them, even though it was in the same country, was in a completely different context. It would be like going from Florence to New York City. What's interesting about it is, is that it was here that 
your pastor, along with me, were able to go into some places that are probably some of the most spiritually dark places you could ever imagine. In Diradawa, there is large expressions of militant Islam. Very militant. We were 40 kilometers off of the Somali border, which is probably one of the most dangerous places on planet Earth today, including Afghanistan. What's interesting about this is, is that we begun a Bible school in the heart of the city. And let's show that slide. Here are some of the students in a classroom. Over 600 students are now being trained there every week at this Bible school facility. Africa's Hope helped to construct most of it. It's a million-dollar facility. What's interesting about that is, is that it also supports over 16 extension schools across the country and outside of the country. Let me show you the web of influence. If you were to look at this map, you'll notice that from the middle circle, which is the Bible school, running 600 men and women as students, being trained for gospel ministry, that each one of these other circles around it are extension schools, centers of training that are connected with that mother school. You see this in the United States. It's a model. You'll see it with your own university systems. Right now, there are scores of students that are now being trained in these centers, including in one that's in Diradawa. What's amazing about this is, is that one of those centers is also outside of Ethiopia, which we opened two and a half years ago, a year after Pastor Dale came. And that is in a country of Djibouti, where the U.S. has one of the largest naval bases in the world today, which most people don't know about. It also runs 150 degrees Fahrenheit two months out of every year. How many of you are ready to move to Djibouti? What's interesting about it is, is that it is 99% Islamic. Heavily, heavily Islamic. When we opened this school... It opened up with 42 students in this extension center. A few months ago, we had our first graduation for those that earned their associate's degree, being trained for ministry. Every single one of them that graduated are brand new church planters. They weren't there to be discipled. They were there because they felt a call to ministry and they had had two years of training to be able to prepare to plant churches for the first time in a region where there are no churches. That is because of your generosity. Because you will never meet these 42 students. You'll probably never go to Djibouti. And some of you just said, Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but what I can tell you is, is that these are lives that are being impacted because you decided to open your heart to look at a part of the world where God had a heart for it. And you decided to respond to the nudging and prompting of the Holy Spirit and to be able to give towards it. Let me show you another area. One of the other extensions is in Sudan. And in Sudan, this is a country that's also over 90 percentile in its population Islamic. And because of this, we're beginning to see students emerge that for the first time are taking the gospel to generations where the gospel has not yet been heard. In fact, I can tell you there are places that I go where in generations, I mean generations, no one in that entire village or regional area have ever had anyone share with them a meaningful understanding of the story of Jesus. They've heard his name, but they could not tell you what that means, who he really is. Can you imagine? But there are millions of people like that in Africa. What's interesting from that is, is that from our time of living in Africa, nearly 20 years, one of the things that grabbed my heart was, is that even though we are now opening up so many schools and have so many students and they're being effective in their ministry, most of them were being trained in English and it was the second or third language that they spoke. So little transformation was happening in their heart. And most of the materials that they had to be trained with were also in English. So we launched an initiative through Africa's Hope to translate all of our materials within a short amount of time with quality translation typesetting and graphic design, printing literally not thousands but millions of copies to be distributed in our distribution centers on the continent in the heart language of the people. Can you imagine for all of us in this room 
to go ahead and walk into a center of learning because all of us want to grow in our faith. We want to be trained, but the people who are training us only speak Mandarin Chinese. How much learning are we going to do? Not much. What's interesting is, is today now we are facilitating, ensuring that they not only have good quality instruction and training, but they have materials that they get to keep. Because most pastors in Africa don't even have Bibles in their own language, and when they do, they're usually handed down. In Angola recently, I actually met two pastors that had shared one Bible over a 10-year period. Can you imagine? And now, today, we're actually not only taking our curriculum, but we're now translating it. We're now providing it with graphic design. We're giving them workbooks that are supplemental materials and assessment systems all in their own language. And this is what you did. Look at what you just did. The first curriculum was what we call the Discovery Series, which trains people on a diploma level. That's equivalent to our associate's degree in America at a, for example, a junior college. What's significant about this is, is that just like you heard me say that most African pastors don't have access to quality materials, is that not only have we and our team written this, but it is highly contextual to the African continent. And what's interesting is, is we decided to start translating this into the language of the Ethiopian people. Three languages, Amharic, Oromifa, and Somali. And this, because of your generosity, is the first book that just came off of a press in Belarus, a communist press. We just had 50,000 of these copies printed, hardback, to be able to give out to those who are Amharic speakers in the country. Can you see it? Isn't that beautiful? Because you did that. You did that. What's amazing about that is, is not only did you invest for us to translate this entire 36-subject course, this being one of them, which deals with the book of Acts, and you can see the language. I don't know if you can see it in the back. You probably cannot, but this is what we call Amharic. It's non-Latin-based. There's 354 characters in the Amharic language. How would you like to learn Amharic? It's one of the most difficult languages, and yet we were able to do it. And every single week, we produce more. It's a tedious task. It takes a very competent, skilled, technologically driven team. We work to translation committees that because of your generosity, we continue to pay to translate quality materials. And then our team is able to package it. And what's interesting about all of that is, is that today, because of this, not only are the 16,000 students that use our materials now having access, and over the hundreds of students in Ethiopia in our own school using this, but major denominations are now signing agreements with us. We are now up to over 28,000 students using the Discovery Series across the continent of Africa every year. Every year. The other thing that we did is that we decided to translate, and you can see these men holding the Discovery Series in their hands. We also decided to translate the Living the Truth, which is another curriculum, but not for people who are being trained for ministry as such, formally, vocationally. But we recognize that in the mass of growth happening on the ground with our churches, that most people just like you, who just had services a few hours ago in Africa, that they came to their local church just like you're doing this morning. They are listening. They are worshiping. They are singing. They are giving in offerings in Africa, all over Africa. Those 83,000 churches, just like you're doing this morning, except they do not have access to quality discipleship materials. And the millions of people who are now coming into the church have never been discipled with materials in their own language to teach them how to grow in faith. But because of what you're doing and giving, we're also taking a portion of that money and we are investing it in translating our Living the Truth curriculum, which is a seven-year systematic curriculum. Highly contextual to Africa. Very solidly biblical. Can you imagine what that means? That means that we're positioning ourselves to invest ourselves not only into the 16,000 students of Africa, but the 22 million and growing that now fill the pews that sit into our churches. So that they don't just end up 
receiving the gospel and letting it die in their heart and not living out the ethic of the gospel, but rather where they're now learning what it means to love God and to live for Him and make a change in their own community. Can you say amen? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? It's phenomenal. And this is because you were generous. Let me go to that next slide. Here's an example of this. In a place called Cameroon, in the northern corridor, there are 15 unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a distinct tribe or clan, typically known for their language or the distinctness of culture or history. There are 22 million that are part of the 15 unreached peoples. Unreached peoples are the distinct peoples that have never had access to the gospel. There is not one church in their village their township, or their city. We have cities in Africa that run over a million that don't have a single church in them. Can you imagine what that is spiritually? These group of men are 100 strong. We opened this school nearly over four years ago with the help of Africa's Hope. The men you're looking at are the first cohort. They have now planted enough churches within that period of time among them while they were going to school that two of the unreached people groups were prepared to take off of the list because they have enough Christian presence through how many churches they planted. I would say that's, that's an amazing victory. Let me show you another one in a place called Kaya in Burkina Faso. This is the kind of work that is happening. This is a place where they are surrounded in Kaya by 27 unreached people groups. These are millions and millions of people that surround them where there are no church life, where there is no witness of the gospel. You do not find believers in Christ. Yet these men that you see in this classroom and women are now being trained with materials in order to be able to go out and plant a church where it doesn't exist today. And they are doing the same thing that the students are doing in northern Cameroon. And why? Because you decided to be generous. Let me talk about why the kind of effect this has. Let's go to the next slide. You see, when you decide to be generous, generosity leads to generous lives. I mean, look at this. Let me illustrate. Look at the man beside me that are looking at you. That's Jimmy Kowoko. Did you know that Jimmy Chiwoko didn't know Christ as he grew up as a child? In fact, how he came to know Christ is that in the middle of a 21-year civil war that actually ended up equipping small children with AK-47s called child soldiers that you've probably read about or seen the movies on, that were indoctrinated to be violent, that he and his wife escaping into a city running as rebel soldiers were literally shooting into the city across the river over a bridge when government soldiers were shooting back at them trying to keep the rebels from entering into the main part of the city, they ended up having people falling around them from bullet wounds and decided to jump off the bridge into a river below that swept them down a couple of miles because of the torrent and they ended up coming along this shoreline. They walked out and the people in the village had enough compassion to take them in and to be able to clothe them and feed them And the man of the village shared Christ with Jimmy. Jimmy was so convicted, he opened up his life to to the Lord. He was changed so radically that he and his wife started growing in their faith, being discipled, felt called to ministry, went to our Bible school in Monrovia, ended up growing into ministry as he planted a church. He was respected among his brethren and a few years later actually voted as the general superintendent of that church in Liberia. Recently, he stepped down on his own out of that role because he said, I think God's actually calling me to step out of this leadership role and take leadership of the Bible school to create more Jimmies for the country. I would say that's a generous life. How about you? Let me show you someone else. This is Philip Kitoto. Dale, you and Sherry have met Philip on your recent trip to Kenya. He was born in a village outside of Nairobi. He was not raised in a Christian home. He ended up coming to Christ as a young man. He was, his encounter with Christ was so powerful that he began to grow and learn as much as he could about the Lord. Growing in faith. He felt called to ministry. He ended up going to Bible school right there in 
in one of our own schools in Nairobi, in a place called Buruburu. I won't ask you to pronounce that. He was so changed that he began to help with a church that at the time was only running about 300 members. He became the lead pastor. It is now running over 7,300 members every single week. That one church. Several extensions, including an extension in a place called Dubai, which is highly Islamic, where they're already in that extension running 400 members. He writes every single week for the Nairobi Times. He is not charged to write the article. He is only asked by the newspaper owners to write one area without charge for free front page. And that's on biblical principles, marriage and the family. You see, your generosity creates generous living, generous lives. Let me introduce you to someone who's very special today. His name is Milward Wambani. He and his wife, Maggie, if they were in this church, you would love them dearly. They are soft-hearted. They're some of the most compassionate, kind people that Cheryl and I have ever encountered. He was one of my students, both on the BA and the MA level. We know them well. We have traveled together. I know his children well. He was trained to be a geologist. Unlike many Africans, he ended up having access to a scholarship to go to a secular university. And he was incredibly bright. An amazing ability to achieve. Speaks three, four languages. And a government contract with Australia ended up finding uranium in northern Malawi. And they, the Australian company got the rights to mine it. And they approached Millward to help them to be able to be part of the process and offered him a salary that was probably, honestly, a hundred times more than what an average Malawian would ever hope to make in a month. And Millward and, Mwani, Millward and Maggie, I remember when they came to me and they said, we have this opportunity, what should we do? And I said, what does your heart tell you? And I remember we were in this hut structure with this opportunity in front of him. There were candles because the electricity had gone out so many times in that evening. We were sitting on Coca-Cola crates. Having a meal together in the darkness. And he looked at me and said, Dr. Easter, he said, all I've ever known is the call of God on my life. And yes, while I am a trained geologist. And I will tell you, he said, I am so tempted to take this job. It would change my life. Economically, it's a game changer for my entire family and extended family. He said, but I cannot say no to what I know God has put in my heart. And he and Millward moved to Sudan, where they've already served over a decade. And he's been to Darfur. He has been imprisoned on Darfur, where over a million people, because of Islamic battles with each other, he has been beaten, he has been deported. And he keeps going back in. This is a generous life. That's generosity. Let me show you one more. Do you see this man whose face is covered? He lives in a place called Diradawa. The place where Pastor Dale has been with me. One of the most spiritually dark places you can imagine. The man beside him is Dereje in the blue. You can see his face. He's the missions director for the Assemblies of God in Ethiopia. Bright, Dereje probably speaks, I would say, at least four languages. Loves God. Amazingly dedicated. One of the hardest workers I know for the Lord. He is just constantly doing something for the Lord. Dereje, right before this happened, when I was with him, you see me praying with him. Before this happened, had went down to his village area because he was born, not in Addis Ababa where he lives today in the capital, but in this eastern city that borders Somalia. And he went to see his mom and dad, just like you and I would go do. And they end up living in tents called bomas, which are a circular tent, mostly patched up with goat skins and lamb skins. That keeps some rain from dropping on them. A small fire inside where they keep warm. Or they cook. 
And Dereje went, visited his family. And while he was there, this man, who happened to be a sheikh over two Islamic mosques in this region among the Oromo Muslims, had gathered a group of friends, hearing that he was coming, knew that he was a believer in Christ, but felt like he had betrayed their tribe, and went out, and he looked at me when he told me this story and said, my intention was to kill him. We're going to kill him. Right in front of his family. And he said, instead, when I saw his face, he said, I became so emotionally troubled, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't say anything. I just turned around and looked at my friends who were willing to support me, And I yelled at them and just said, get out of here tomorrow, tomorrow. And he said, I went back to my Boma and he said, I just sat there in frustration. His anger was overwhelming me. He said, I was mistreating my family. I was yelling at them. He said, all of a sudden, the next day came. I walked across that village area to where their family Boma was. He said, I took my friends again, intending just to do him physical harm. And he said, when I did and approached, he said, I could hear Jereji and his family inside their Boma. And they were praying for our village. And they mentioned the name of Isa, which in their language means Jesus. He said, I became so overwhelmed that I just yelled at my friends again. I walked all the way across the other side of the village, got into my boma, and then I ended up screaming at my wife. And then he said, I went to sleep. And when I went to sleep, I had a dream. And he said, when I had a dream, this man who I had never met in my life appeared to me and said, I am Isa. And he said, that was it. He said, I woke up, I ran across the other side, I went into that boma and fell down at Jereji's feet and said, please tell me who this Isa is. And that day, Jereji led this sheikh to Jesus. And he was incredibly transformed. How transformed? Today, this man has planted two new churches out of those two mosques. And because he wasn't trained, he is now entering our new extension school that because of your generosity now exists using these materials because he feels a call to the gospel instead of, a, instead of to a ministry within Islam. I would say that's a generous life. Can you say amen? amen. As I close, I just want to say I hope for a moment you can understand why generosity is so important. You see, for even this lady on the screen behind me, who's also one of our students, there are today not hundreds, there are thousands of men and women who honestly are incredibly bright, incredibly soft-spirited, who just want to please God, and they sense that God has called them to give their lives To help others know God and grow in their faith and change their communities for the better. Just like you're doing here. And I have to say to you, thank you. Because see, you've never met Dereji. You've never met Philip. You've never met Millward. You've never met Jimmy Kuchuoko. But you have invested in their lives. And you will probably never walk the soil of Ethiopia or go down and walk through the market in Diridawa. You'll probably never hear the calls of prayer that end up being championed in the minarets of mosques all over that land. But because you have invested, you are now changing the life of individual men and women who are willing. They are so willing just to let God use them and even walk away from other opportunities Because they so believe in the gospel and its power to transform lives and change, literally, change a village and a community within a very short time. And I pray that God would bless you. I pray that in the midst of your open-heartedness and your open hands of investing in men and women like this, That God will not only bless this church continually, Pastor. But I pray that all of your families and each and every one of you learn what it means to live your life as a generous life. To touch the people that you go to school with, the people in your neighborhood, to learn how to walk across your street, to love in the marketplace and the grocery aisles and among the businesses that many of you have or work for. 
I pray that you will let your lives be an extension of not only what you give financially, but what you give in every other way. May God do that for you as you open your hearts to them. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me just say that the most generous individual you'll ever meet and encounter will be God himself, who is generous enough to give his only son for your life so that you may know what it means to not only be saved from something, but saved for something. Because today, every one of us in this room, because of generosity, are not just saved from something. We have been saved for something. So that our lives may make a difference on this earth. Both in Florence and Africa and around the world. Thank you for investing with Africa's hope. God bless you. Of what challenges my heart. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave something that's going to be more than just trinkets and plaques and names. This thing's doing it again. I want, I want what God has given and blessed us with. I want that to turn into the lives of these that you've seen on the screen. Sherry and I have made investments and we're making bigger investments into Africa's hope because we believe in it. I wish I could take you with me. I wish I could take you to the chop market in Diradawa. I wish I could show you the face of people broken under the shadow of a minaret of one of the largest mosques in the area. And look into the eyes of people that don't know anything about Jesus. All they know is hate. And they look at you and they look at you with hatred. Not because they know you, but because that's all they know. And then, and then to see the little hand of God come upon a shake. And know that he's going to be trained with tools. Oh, I don't know if I've ever been this excited about any project of anything that we've been involved with in missions. And we've been doing this for over 30 years overseas in missions. It has the greatest impact to not just touch a life, not just to touch a community or a village, but to literally touch a continent. Jesus is coming soon. And I want to do every blooming thing I can to touch every human heart I have the capacity to touch. With the resources that God has blessed me with. I don't have a lot. But what I have. We're going we're gonna to make certain. That the legacies that we leave. Will impact the lives of the unsaved. Through these types of endeavors. To be a part of this. And to watch the translation team. And to watch what John and Cheryl are doing. I, I can't tell you how proud I am of these two. They're leading a charge of something that honestly, honestly, I've never seen anything like this in the, in the Assemblies of God. I've, I've been credentialed with them for 48 years, and I haven't seen anything so strategic, so powerful, and so impacting as what we're involved with, with Africa's Hope. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. I'm going to, we're going to receive an offering and ask the Lord's blessing on the gifts that we're going to receive but I'm going to challenge you to think beyond just this morning. When I talk about legacy, I, I mean that in all sincerity. I have two children, four grandchildren, a great-grandson. And yes, I want to leave a legacy to them. Yes, I want to somehow, when the Lord is finished with Sherry and I, that there would be something that would go to them. But we've placed it in our legacy giving 
that they're only going to get a portion of it. You see, I believe they need to work for it like I did. But what God has given to us, we want it to go back into the kingdom of God. And the legacies that we want to leave are not just finances. It's the impact. You stole my book. It's the impact of, of this type of material. Just come up here and stand with me for a second because we're going to pray for you and Cheryl in just a moment. It's this type of material. Man, when you see, when you see a student, when we were in, in, in Kenya and Ethiopia in April, and I sat in front of these men, two of the students that were there, two of the young men were there. They're learning this material. And they're going into South Sudan. And their superintendent said, they may not come out. And you ask yourself, what am I doing here? We have a chance to change a world. Hello? I want to do something that changes a world. I don't want to just sell pop. I don't want to just sell real estate. I want to invest in souls. Father, bless these gifts. Bless your church. Thank you for their generosity. Thank you, Father, that when we give, it goes beyond us. It goes, it goes to touch the lives of people. Thank you for all that they do. Thank you for what they do here in our own community backpack and, and the various aspects and outreaches that we have for Florence. Thank you that we can touch and we are touching our city. Thank you that we can touch our region. Thank you, Father, that you've given to us the privilege, the real privilege of investing into the lives of young leaders that can take it farther than we have brought it. Would you just bless now the gifts that we're about to receive in every family and every life that would give together. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give this morning. The Lord is so good. Amen. We're on kind of a tight schedule because our friends have to take off. We're going to go to lunch here in just a little bit, but they have to fly away. Another part of the 230,000 that they fly. <laughs> and he gets, he's got motion sickness. Can you imagine? <laughs> I had fun with him on the boat yesterday. I put a patch behind his ear. <laughs> but Cheryl, would you come? And Cherry, would you join me? And Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, we're so blessed to have leadership in our movement and in, in the kingdom of God like these friends. Would you extend your hands to them? And I, I know the hours and the miles that they travel and the things that they're involved with for their kids, for their grandkids, that God would be with them. Join me. Father, these two stand representing a whole family of men and women who have said yes to a call that's bigger than sometimes they even recognize when they said yes. For the vision, for the leadership that you've given to them, we thank you. And we pray, Father, that your comfort, your strength, your health your vitality, all of your protection, your grace, continued wisdom, greater vision, and the resources that need to go with all of that. Father, you'd provide it all in Jesus' name. Bless them. Keep your hand upon them and help them in all of the endeavors that they involve with. Now, would you lift your hands for the blessing this morning, Father? I ask you to bless your church in the name of Jesus, to bless them and keep them. Make your very face shine upon them. Be so gracious to them. Overwhelm them with your kindness and your goodness. Go before them in their ventures, in their life, in their family, and in their marriages. Keep your hand upon each one, and we'll give you praise for all that you're going to do. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody can say amen. Just one more announcement before you leave. Wednesday night, we're doing class here for families called His Needs, Her Needs. 
We'd encourage every one of you to come. If you're married, you need to be here. I'll guarantee you, it'll change your life and it'll change your marriage. So join us Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. May you have a wonderful day in Jesus and go catch some fish.